This is a Founding Media Podcast. Welcome to this edition of Founders of Fashion Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Millspa, and I'm the founder of Aesthetic Ventures and the Austin Fashion Initiative. On this podcast series, we go inside fashion startups to learn about how they are scaling their emerging companies. These are the companies you'll want to keep on your radar. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Maggie Callahan. Maggie is the CEO and creative director of Maggie Louise Confections. And if you haven't noticed by the name, Maggie's company produces chocolate. But I want to talk with her because I believe with her vision and the structure of her company, she is building a modern day lifestyle brand. Their tagline is, it's not chocolate, it's an experience. And that's certainly true. Let's jump into the conversation. Uh, The first thing I want to highlight is that you don't actually work with cloth. Uh, You work with chocolate. But what I love about what you do is the experience that you create. Um, It really is a fashion experience. Uh, It just happens to be consumables. So let's talk about that first. Um, How do you see what you're doing as fitting in with fashion? Certainly. Thank you very much for having me. Excited to be here and to talk about fashion and the inspiration behind this brand and what we've created. So we are in the the field of chocolate, but chocolate is is essentially a sculptural medium that you can shape and color, tell a story with, uh, create a mood, create a feeling, very similar to fashion. Uh, It's just a different, it's not cloth, it's chocolate. Uh, So our design, which has been a foundation of what we do, is very much influenced by what's going on in the world of fashion, art, pop culture, news media, everything. And so much like you know, fashion has evolved over the past 10 years um, with speed to market and other elements, we've built a chocolate company that kind of draws on those experiences and brings it to the world of chocolate. Awesome. So how did you come to launch Maggie Louise? What is your background? So it's certainly not in chocolate and not in making tiny chocolate sculptures. Uh, we are a company based here in Austin. We just turned five years old. Uh, but I launched this after a career in law. Um, I was an attorney. I went to Harvard Law School, moved to New York City, uh, worked on big financial transactions, Really enjoyed the deal flow. Um, Working on deals is exciting. The work was sophisticated, but I certainly was missing an element of who I was. I grew up in a house that was filled with art. My mom is a painter. Uh, Color, artistic tools were everywhere. And that was certainly a part of my legal career I wasn't getting. And so when my husband and I moved here uh, about six and a half years ago, and we moved here for his work. And Austin is so colorful and vibrant and creative. And I just wanted to be a part of that, the energy of the city. It's so weird in like such a good way. Exactly. Yeah. But it was very motivating. And I wanted to be a part of that conversation. And so I decided it was time after nearly a decade of practicing law to take the leap. I retired and I went to Le Cordon Bleu here in Austin. 
I would have gone to Paris, but I had a nine-month-old baby at home and a husband, so that would have created a whole other host of issues. Right. Yeah, challenges. Exactly. I studied pastry and baking, and I knew I wanted to start a business. I just didn't know what. I wanted to build something. I wanted to build a brand, something I really believed in. And while I was in school, you know, we covered a multitude of topics, you know, from making ice cream and baking bread. And we did about a week of work on chocolate. And it was there that I discovered that, you know, it really is this amazing medium. And I was familiar with it as a consumer, as we all are, but I had no idea how artistic it could be. And it really opened a lot of, you know, creative ideas within me. Um, we started making a few shapes, simple things like jewels and fleur-de-lis, and it just it sparked in me an, uh, an interest in finding out more. So I taught myself everything I could. I found different shapes in Europe, and I started making chocolate lipsticks. I essentially thought if, if you can make circles and squares, that's okay, but if you can make the same thing but in a lipstick or in a robot or a high heel, like why would you do a circle and a square? Yeah, I love your robot yes. set. I give that to so many people for gifts. That was just, definitely fun, yeah. a different way to express something. Um, so you're buying it both to share with somebody. It says something about them, but it also says something about you, that you've taken some time to find something that's so on point for the person receiving it. But we started um, in a small kitchen, actually not far from here, where we're recording this. I worked nights in the kitchen. Um, we just saw very quick success because our product just looked so different. And it was really based on, you know, bringing together high design for chocolate, nostalgic flavor. So we weren't experimenting with flavor profiles. We were taking classic American favorites and just elevating them. So, you know, what you enjoyed as a kid, but completely reimagined with fun shapes and uh, elevated ingredients. And then layering on that a high service level, um, basically taking what I learned in the professional world and bringing it to a consumer good and saying that we want clients for life. We want to build long-term relationships from the very beginning. And so bringing those three together, uh, we immediately got traction. We were one of Oprah's favorite things in our first year. That's amazing. Um, yeah. We started shipping. I knew that this country was very big, you know, way bigger than Austin. And yeah. I did not think Austin alone could support the business. So we immediately started a direct-to-consumer model, um, shipping all over the U.S. and Canada, knowing that there's a lot of people out there who yeah. might like this chocolate. So how did you kind of start to 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 expand that quickly did you were you when you were shipping and and were you sending out um samples to certain people and influencers that you wanted to experience your product or um like what did that look like for you to 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 get it into the right hands of the right people right so when i first started i would basically do anything for anyone for any price like well within limitations yeah. of course yeah but it was really about sharing the brands and sharing the experience and it was such a wow factor for people to open a box of you know multicolored gemstones splatter painted like jackson pollock the the key for me was just getting it in front of people mm -hmm. having them try it having them experience it and then they were they were excited and they became really, you know, like uh, ambassadors for us in this very loose sense. 
And so the first work was really using my own network yeah, to course. find clients, do corporate work. They always had our name on it. We never did private labels. So even though we were creating boxes for different companies, we were able to share our brand with the recipients. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we did start sending out boxes to, I guess, what you would now call influencers. But back then, they were just people you admired on this new platform called Instagram. Yeah. And if they liked it, they would take a picture and put it on their, their page. And that was it. And this is before there was an algorithm. So right. everyone would see it. And it really helped boost us very quickly. Um, the product, unplanned, it showed really well on Instagram and on Facebook and other social media. It was just so colorful and bright that people would snap pictures of their boxes and it would organically spread that way. Mm-hmm. And you put a lot, you put, I, I remember you telling so much thought into kind of the initial concept of not just the product itself that you were making, not just the chocolate, but also how it was displayed, the way it was shipped, the, you know, the, the packaging and everything and that experience of opening up. So uh, walk me through like what that experience for you was like in, in creating that and developing that for your company. Certainly. So I basically create a product that I wanted for myself. And I always compare it to, you know, a really amazing dinner at a wonderful restaurant. The food is a pillar of that, but so is the ambiance, so is the service. All of those elements come together to create one experience. And that's what we wanted to do with chocolate. Make it more than just about eating. Because every conversation I was seeing in the marketplace was only about the taste. And it's a very, very, very important element of this item. But it's one part of it. I mean, it smells amazing. It always, historically for me, a treat like this was something you had when you were celebrating. So it has it ties itself to a lot of great memories. Mm-hmm. And it can tell a story. It can be a lot more than just like, you know, eating. It's about the entirety of the experience. Mm-hmm. And so from the very beginning... I wanted to build that. I wanted to build a product and a brand that had depth and that had layers. So, you know, every box you you can't even tell really, but there's a thousand different points that go into it. Um, everything from the, the way that the label is designed, the way that the insert is, you know, put in a certain way, the sticker on the box. I wanted to create something very memorable at a very sort of accessible price point. So the idea of luxury that is akin to more of a Chanel lipstick than a Chanel bag. And so bringing this experience to other people, always keeping in mind that what if this was my grandmother that was opening it? I want it to be perfect for her and kind of putting yourself in the shoes of the every person who gets it. Exactly. And so by doing that, you've really created almost a whole new category of how people experience chocolate and your brand that kind of rides this wave of something being very closer to fashion than just food. Right. Not just fashion, but also pop culture. Yeah. You know, the conversations people are having uh, that also influence fashion as well and the way they buy. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning, it was, we want to be on the cusp of what's happening with retail we don't want to be learning about it a couple of years after everybody else. We want to define it for this industry and the chocolate industry, very traditional. Mm-hmm. Um, we always think of food and we think of chefs doing crazy things on TV shows, 
But in general, the industry is very, uh, it's, it's rigid and it's, it hasn't changed in a long time. Mm-hmm. So we said, well, if we want to build relationships and really share an experience, we need to be direct to consumer. Um, we need to speak to them directly and build our own relationship with them, not from the beginning relying on somebody else to do that for us. So that was one way that we really focused on kind of development of the brand and the storytelling and building those connections. And um, it, it created a new category in that we suddenly were getting the attention of people who would never dream of buying a box of, you know, old-fashioned chocolate. Yeah. But now it was right up their alley. It was speaking to them. It was saying things to them that they were saying to their friends, like mm-hmm. fries before guys with tiny little French fries. Yeah to celebrate Valentine's Day, which, you know, didn't exist 20 years ago. So it was finding ways to to reach people that had just not been done before mm-hmm. in that industry. It has this feeling of whimsy to it and just, like, I don't know, just a, a, I love things that have such a sense of joy in, every, in everyday experiences, mm-hmm. and I love that that's what you bring to it. But what if, you know, going back to, like, the development of the business, like, what are some of the challenges that you think – you faced along the way and how have you overcome them? So let's see, there's probably been 7,000 million <laughs> challenges. Um, building a business is very tough. Um, building a business like this is very capital intensive. So you are investing in a long-term enterprise and it, the challenges, they change and they evolve over time. When it was myself doing it, um, the challenge was I was making every product, washing every dish, selling every product, having every conversation. It's a lack of resources. That challenge doesn't change. It just looks a lot different mm-hmm. because now we have 50 people and there's still none of people, you know, but there's some more specialization of roles. Um, challenges with, you know, being very clear and defining who you are, what you're trying to do and not getting ahead of yourself. Um, you know, I've been gifted with an incredible sense of, I can do whatever I want to, if I put my mind to it. Yeah. Um, that's just not always the case in manufacturing at a certain point, it comes down to math and the ability to produce something in a certain time frame is not just about your will. Yeah. It does require real, you know, the equipment physics, and, the physics <laughs> and all of that. So for me, I had to really learn I learned it very early, luckily, to be very mindful of what we were doing as a company. Saying no is just as important as saying yes. Um, opportunities for revenue aren't always the opportunities you want. Uh, for us, it was we did a project in our first year that was really exciting and it was really big. And our equipment failed, our backup equipment failed. We didn't, we weren't able to meet the deadline um, for delivery of the product. And that was really disappointing, but it was good for me to see that that this is real. This is the limit. There's a limit. I have to build to the limit. And so for that reason, every decision we make, every project we take on, every product we sell, it needs to be 100% focused on what we're trying to achieve. So you have to be very mindful of how you fill your pipeline, essentially, because having more projects, having more business isn't always good. I mentioned that we were one of Oprah's favorite things. Mm-hmm. That can be very bad. It's wonderful. You get all this exposure and credibility. But if, say, you can't meet demand 
that's that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, I learned a lesson, and we had before. Yeah. So then, then you knew kind of what you needed to do to exactly. We could capitalize on the situation versus being kind of strangled by it. Yeah. Um, but those those lessons, I mean, you can read those in a book or learn about it. But I think you also just need to experience it. Mm-hmm. And so you you mentioned your husband. Your husband had also previously launched and scaled a tech company. Yes. And um, I remember having a conversation with you previously, and we talked a bit about how this has been both very challenging and different from that. So could you speak on that for a bit as, as to sure. what the experiences are like and different? Yeah. So his company was a technology company, um, fitness Base. It started in 2007. Uh, different type of company. I mean, we manufacture. They built the platform. Yeah. Different phase of life. Um, so when he started his company, he was living on the beach, you know, could really just want some money to buy beer, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, I was, for many years, the main breadwinner in our family when I was practicing law. Um, obviously, that was an investment we both made. And it, it had a great outcome when you sold this company, I think, five or six years ago. And so that was something we did as a family, decided we were going to put those efforts towards that company. Um, I left law and started doing what I'm doing now before he sold his company. Um, that was a decision that we made because it was something I needed to do. Um, but we did have the experience together of, him building that company, scaling that company, and selling that company, and what happens next. Mm-hmm. And he stayed with the buyer for around a year, but then he joined me in this endeavor. Uh, he'd apply, he had to apply like yeah. everybody else. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, he's my business partner. It's one reason we've built such a technology savvy company with personalization platforms and other, other tech options that wouldn't be out there for a lot of other people. I just knew about them because. I knew him so well. Right. Um, but most notably, a different phase of life. So like I mentioned, when he started his company, it was, you know, he's, it's okay if you're living at the beach, eating 25-cent burritos. Fast forward, we have two kids. You know, the stress is different. The hours are different. Uh, you're forced to be extremely efficient. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are things that sometimes pull you away from work unexpectedly. So by working together, we've been able to kind of create a team around that uh, and manage it, but it's certainly a different experience. Yeah, absolutely. Far You go to far fewer of those South by parties yeah. than <laughs> you used to. <laughs> so um, so what, what now, what does your typical day look like now? It's a great question. It's finally starting to be a typical day. You know, um, it ebbs and flows with the year. Q4, it's crazy. This time of year, you know, in the morning, you're up. One child gets on the bus. The other goes to daycare, get to our office, which is in South Austin. It's 8,000 square feet, warehouse distribution, and our kitchen is there now. Um, It's wonderful to have everybody under one roof, but, you know, it is in a warehouse. I am extremely uh, motivated by working in that type of space. I think it's like a a platform for creativity. It's not fancy. It's really just a canvas. Yeah. Um, I love it. It's a growing part of town as well. So it's fun to watch that happening around us. Uh, the day starts. I have 
meetings with some of the teams I work with, our creative team, our sales team, our operations team and finance and technology. Um, my day is usually pretty scheduled out, but I like to be available all day. Um, any work I have to do that's singular, that's just me, I like to do that either at night or very early in the morning or off-site. Whenever I'm there, I want to be available for people. Mm -hmm. My main goal is to be, um, you want to be an open door, but with buffers so that people are empowered to make their own decisions and, and you know, use their own judgment. Mm -hmm. um, I play a very active role in our creative department. We have a great team with Everyone's got these very different backgrounds that bring really unique elements to the design process because um, we're designing not just our product, but the product for corporate clients and our brand product, um, all of our marketing, you know, all of the advertisements you see on Instagram, all of those run through that creative group. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very uh, robust team. And I love that you have those two very core functions right there together. Oh, the, um, the the branding and the the product development that they're oh, working completely side by side. Well, and also in the room is our sales team. Yeah. So our account management team and wholesale team. And so what that means is that everyone's so tuned into the product that we're able to like very quickly meet demand. So if a client wants X, we can very quickly design it and get it to them and make it happen. There's a benefit to being vertical like we are. We control our manufacturing process and our distribution. It's a lot of work. It's an incredible amount of work, mm -hmm. especially starting it from scratch. However, you have total control over the process and you have the ability to move very fast. So just like with fast fashion where you're responding to what people want in a very quick way and that's what you're putting out in your store, um, we're able to do that with chocolate. We're seeing what people are like, are, are looking for and wanting, and we can produce that to them. So it, having the sales group and the design together is very helpful, but also having them in the same place as the actual manufacturing, it means they have their eyes on the product, which I think leads to a far better design result because you're not designing in, you know, an academic setting, right? Or in you know, just on paper, you're actually in the product. Uh, come up with ideas you might not otherwise have thought of. Yeah. Okay. So before we're we're getting down to our last question now, but before we jump into that, where can people find you? How can people find Maggie Louise? So of course, direct to consumer, you can find us online, MaggieLouiseConfections.com. Uh, you can also find us in some stores around the country. We're in Neiman Marcus. Um, we are going to be launching more online presence with some other third-party marketplaces like Nordstrom. We are not everywhere, though. You know, right now, our main business is still direct-to-consumer. So if you're in Texas, you might find us at Neiman's. But if you're in Indianapolis, where I grew up, you'll have to go online to find us. Someday, you'll go to our store. <laughs> but for now, we just have our one flagship and uh, reach people through the service of delivering their products for them. Awesome. So, and what is the ultimate vision for your company? So for me, I would like for this to be the premium chocolate and confectionery brand in the U.S. I'd like for us to have these high-end jewel box storefronts like we have in Austin in major places around the country. 
I think that the industry is ripe for that to happen. Uh, the current market leaders have been there a very long time and we're excited to take over that position. I could see us also being, you know, in select locations abroad as well to service those markets. Everybody loves chocolate. It's a universally beloved item. Mixing that with fun design, local design, there's no reason that we shouldn't be in all the most wonderful places around the globe. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Maggie. And thank you guys for listening to our Thank you for listening to this delicious episode of Founders of Fashion podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. And if you're watching this podcast on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to this channel and click the notification bell for new episode alerts. Founders of Fashion is produced by Mariah Gossett and myself. Audio and video production by Jake Wallace. And a huge thank you to the rest of the team at Founding Media who make this podcast possible. Also, a quick note, if you've been enjoying this show, I wanted to also recommend another founding media podcast, Great Society. Hosted by Constance Dykusen, the podcast is a series of conversations with inspiring individuals, companies, and brands that are working to do good things in this world. If you want to check it out, see the link in our show notes. I'm your host, Jennifer Millspa. To learn more about my work at the intersection of fashion, internationalization, and entrepreneurship, visit aesthetic.ventures. Thank you.